Good morning, everyone. I'm going to be reading out of Philippians uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through 30, and it's on page 1164 of the Pew Bibles, if you wanted to follow along. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that the full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation that and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Lord, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for these words. We thank you for the insight that uh, we gain from, from Paul's words. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, uh, open our ears to hear what it is that you put on our pastor's uh, um, heart to speak and just give us ears to hear. We thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Dave. So good morning. I think with me moving to Vermont, it has given me a greater appreciation for history, the history of our country. Um, the folks who stepped up during World War II are known as America's greatest generation. These folks, they grew up in the Depression, and they were the primary participants in that war. Many of you had family members that probably fought and even died or served like my grandfather did in that war. But why do we call them America's greatest generation? As the book that is written about them, their namesake, says they were shaped by their circumstances and they, thought they fought not for fame or recognition, but because it was the right thing to do. When you think of that gentleman in that World War II vet hat, you don't ask him about it. You thank him for his sacrifice. But it wasn't those who just fought overseas, was it? Many in Vermont, around here, the farmers, the mill workers, the machinists, 
the families who held down the fort here participated in their sacrifices and their sufferings, their investment into the cause before them. This generation of men and women caused them to be called America's greatest generation, honoring a nation. And like these men and women before us, they honored our country, endured suffering and sacrifice. It transformed them, but it also transformed our nation. And it brought honor and the benefits that we still reap today. And so as we move on in chapter 1 of Philippians, the Apostle Paul, he is moving from his present joy and suffering to his future joy in his salvation and the honoring of Christ, his Savior. This morning we'll see three things, that our sacrifice honors Christ, our sanctification honors Christ, and also our suffering honors Christ. I think I should get a nice little badge. I've finally done my Baptist alliteration for you all. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we get together today as your people because of those who've gone before us to make it possible. God, we thank you for your servant, Paul, who has given us these words for us today in 2021. And so, God, would you teach us Give us eyes to see. Give us a heart to respond. God, we worship you in our time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Dave read for us, let's look back at verses 19 to 21 again. Yes, and I will rejoice, which is verse 18. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So Paul says that Christ will be honored in his body by life or by death. And so for 18 verses, Paul has prayed for them, for this church. And now we see how the Philippian church is praying for Paul. This is part of their partnership in the gospel that we saw in verse 5. He says, your prayers, and you is plural, but this church is praying for him. This whole church is participating with Paul in prison. And this is the part of the reason why we lead you each Sunday morning in a prayer for another church apart from Cornerstone Church. We want you to be aware of the things that are going on in other churches in our area that are being faithful to their gospel call and their victories and their struggles. And also it's a way to give you tools and people to pray for when you go home. And when you spend time with Jesus, when you spend time in devotion with your families. And these prayers that Paul was referring to are the reason for part of his joy. And how encouraging is it for us when we get that random email or text message, Hey, I was praying for you. Or when you mention something on a Sunday morning uh, to a brother or sister, and then you see them on a Wednesday evening, or vice versa, and they say, hey, I've been praying for you all week. How is that thing going? Can we agree that we want to be this type of church? 
that is a praying church. And God listens and He delights to answer our prayers. But not only does prayer work, but the Holy Spirit works through our prayers. Paul says, because of your prayers and the work of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. The Spirit that comes from Jesus Christ will help us. Paul says this in Ephesians 1, In Him, referring to Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Friends, the Spirit gets us to the end. He is the guarantee, Paul says in Ephesians. The Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, fully God, who has always existed as part of the Godhead of Father, Son, and Spirit, like we talked about on Wednesday a couple weeks ago, we have faith in God and who keeps His promises that by the death and life and resurrection of His Son that we will be saved. And the Holy Spirit seals us and guarantees that for us. And these truths, they should be a comfort for us. That God keeps His promises. That He Himself will get us to the end. He guarantees that. Paul says in Philippians that he is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Spirit is of Jesus Christ, that comes from Jesus Christ, that is sent by Jesus Christ. Jesus says this in John 14, But these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Friends, the Holy Spirit is our down payment, but it is also, He is also our helper. And while Jesus is ruling and reigning in heaven, the Spirit indwells God's people, indwells you and me to comfort us, to encourage us, to help us. And He does it through our prayers, even for each other. It is through the prayers of the saints and the help of the Holy Spirit that this will turn out for Paul's deliverance. Where Paul's sufferings honor Christ. Because he will deliver, be delivered, not just from his prison cell or the emperor, but he will be delivered from death itself. One commentator suggested that this term deliverance is ambiguous on purpose because it refers to Paul's deliverance as the emphasis, that Christ is honored in his suffering, and that's all that matters for Paul. Romans 8.26 Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes with, for us with groanings too deep for words. Do you see the power of the Holy Spirit in this? When God does the work in our lives and through us, who gets the glory? Do we? Or does God? 
God gets the glory for delivering us, for helping us, and for honoring Christ's name. If Paul was never delivered from this prison cell, which I believe he eventually was, he would be delivered eventually from this prison, the prison of this earth in which he lives. We can work, but the Holy Spirit ultimately is the one who is doing the work. We don't need to manipulate. We don't need to worry about our circumstances to try th to make things look better on the outside than they really are. We trust the work of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says in Philippians that this will not be his shame. He also says this in Romans 1. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Again, this is not about Paul. It shouldn't be about us either. It's about God. It's about Christ. And we need not be ashamed of His work through us. When we are faithful, when we trust the gospel ourselves, it saves us, but it also has the power to save others. And we can trust that God has all things in control because He always has had it in control. But because of the work of the Holy Spirit, for Paul to live is to be Christ, and to die is to gain and be with Christ forever. I heard someone say this week, living on this earth is Christ, dying is more Christ. Christ is the reason for Paul's living. His, the severing of his life just means a more fuller communion with Christ down the road in the life to come. And so he can say with integrity that both life and death are gain for those who believe in Jesus that Jesus will be honored because of Paul's witness, no matter the circumstances, no matter the outcome. In the flesh, Paul gives himself to fruitful labor. Paul wants to be faithful to Christ, and he trusts that that will produce fruit through Christ. In Philippians 4, he says, Paul says that what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you all. And so are we willing to follow Paul's example? Paul is calling this Philippian church to be faithful, right? But he's also calling us to be faithful. And so are we willing to trust God to bring fruit through our faithfulness? We don't know what God will do through our faithfulness. Yesterday, Kristen and I, we went to a small little conference, and if I can get the quote accurate, the guy who was speaking said that I think the most difficult job in all the world where things are completely out of your control is a farmer. You water, you till, but it's ultimately all up to God and what He's going to do. You could do everything right and still have a terrible harvest. In 1 Corinthians 3, it says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. I like to also add in there, maybe we could become fertilizer in our death and God would give 
the growth. And so, friends, let's be faithful. Our suffering, it honors Christ. It's fruitful labor that God uses to grow fruit. And the Holy Spirit will comfort and help us in the process. In the book of Acts, when we see the Apostle Paul leaving Ephesus, the church there was not excited about him leaving because they knew what that would lead to. This took place in Acts chapter 21. When we heard this, we and all the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. But then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul would ultimately end up in a prison cell after going to Jerusalem. And that would lead him across the Mediterranean Sea to a Roman prison, the one in which he is writing this letter to the Philippian church. And so, Lord, give us the faith to believe that our sacrifices and our discomfort will honor you. Our sacrifices honor Christ, but also our sanctification honors Christ. We'll look at verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. You see the idea of fruitfulness coming up again in this passage. This fruitful labor comes by living in this world. It causes us to grow in our holiness, our sanctification that Tyler helped us to understand better this past Wednesday. If you haven't been able to come on a Wednesday night, uh, the messages on Wednesday are on our website on the midweek tab. You can listen to those. But our sanctification, friends, it honors Christ. And Paul acknowledges that his physical body, his fallen human bones and skin, are a means of labor. And it's the only reason to stay here, to serve, to labor, to trust God with fruitfulness. And in this section, we see two things. First, that living is life and living is worthwhile work. The second is that dying is gain. And dying is preferred because it means that we are with Christ. And you don't see very many young people understand this, do we? They have the whole life in front of them. We have children. We want to see them grow up, get married. I don't even have grandkids yet. Whereas many of you are still remodeling that bathroom you started in 2017. But those of you who have some more gray hair, you've already lived through many of those things that I've mentioned. Your bones, your joints hurt a little bit more. You're not looking for winter coming soon where your knees ache a little bit more. Some of you have seen your children and your grandchildren come to know and follow and love Jesus. But to live is to be like Christ in endurance, in preaching, in suffering. 
but to die is to gain, because then we will be with him. Most importantly, being in and with Christ is the most important piece of this passage. And so, younger folks, let's labor. Let's be like Christ. John 15, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so let's labor like Christ, even if that means we lay down our preferences or more challenging, our lives for the sake of the gospel. It's worth it. Older folks, fruitful labor is for you as well. To remain, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on others' accounts, Paul says, even if it's challenging. I think I'll throw myself in with the younger folks, if that's okay. I have a few gray hairs, some pepper in here. That's why I keep it short. But we need you. Can I say to all of you, will you participate with us? Help us in our foolishness, sharing your wisdom, serving us like Christ does. You have much to bring to the table, and you can share with us, and you can help us. You get the opportunity to endure with us. And this is the beauty of the body of Christ, where we have people from every background, every age bracket, where we get to participate in this walk that we walk with Jesus and help each other. And it's beautiful. And it's a picture of what we will all be like when we are in heaven together. And when Paul refers to this labor, what he does here is he's referencing his missionary activity. He does this frequently in his letters when he is using the word labor. He's referring to bearing witness to others of who Jesus is and how beautiful the gospel is. The good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But he is hard-pressed, it says in verse 23. Referring to this narrow path that you walk, where you got a, a rock wall, a big granite wall on both sides, pressing in on you. But you have to continue straight forward. Imagine that old missionary. Some of you might know them. They've been out in the field, and he's tired. He's done. He wants to be with Christ. The world around us, friends, is pressing in on us. And I think all of us have, in the last 20 months or so, been looking forward a little bit more to heaven. And for some, that may come sooner than others. But for all of us, to remain is to be like Christ. Paul acknowledges that heaven is far better. And it's okay to do that. It's not just better, he says. It's far better. To remain, though, is to love. Can't someone else do the loving? Can't someone else become the missionary that goes overseas? Or can't someone else go talk to my neighbor or talk to my coworker? But here Paul is pastoral and he cares. He knows, friends, the struggle that we all have. He knows that if he died, he would immediately be with Christ. As one commentator said, Paul knew that if he died, 
he would have complete, conscious, intimate, unhindered fellowship with his Lord. Who wants that? I do. But for the sake of the building of the church, Paul yields his personal desires for the sake of the body of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul encourages the Corinthian church, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And Paul's faith, it leads to joy. And this joy is not just for Paul, but it's for this church, as we see in verse 25. I think all of us have been striving for some joy lately. We turn on the news, we scroll through social media. There's not a lot of joy that's expressed on there. But if Christ is proclaimed, friends, we can rejoice. The first part of this letter is about Paul's own affairs. He's in prison, suffering. And now we move on to the affairs of this church where Paul's joy is now this church's joy. So what are you convinced of that causes you to do things? I bet some men and women who wanted to jump into the battle in the 40s were thinking, maybe I don't want to speak German, or maybe I don't want to speak Japanese, or I saw in the paper the atrocities that were going on, and I wanted it to stop. But some people, even our country, it wasn't a quick, easy decision to make. And I think it's okay. Maybe a decision for you is hard to consider. It took our family almost a year, when, or over a year, I think, when we first started thinking and praying about moving to Vermont before we actually ended up here. It was worth it. Is it worth it to talk to your neighbor? Is it worth it to talk to your coworker or to your boss? Is it worth it, as the holidays come up, to talk to your family member? Please hear me. It's worth it. To be Christ to them is worth it. The emphasis here is Paul's conviction to serve this church. And he will do it by remaining with him. When you feel called to do something by God, when the circumstances get challenging, when it's hard, when you want to give up, rest in the call of God. Rest that he will get you to the end, that it is worth it. And it is that call that will keep you there where our circumstances, they change. But friends, as we saw in Genesis for over a year, God never changes. And by the help of the Spirit, we can continue. And so it's a gift for God to grow us in this, in our sanctification. 
And verse 26 shows us that that sanctification bring God glory and honor. Paul's confidence and joy come through a life of faithfulness where our confidence, like Paul's, comes through working with and through Christ working in us to bring about fruit. And it's a cycle. Do you see it? Where God works, we respond. And God working, we work. We are tools to be used by God for His glory, but also for our joy. And our joy is enduring. It will last forever. And the Philippians, they get three things through this working of Paul. First, they get their growth and sanctification or their progress of faith. Second, they get joy in their faith. Third, they get an abounding glory in Christ through Paul. Where God is honored in our sanctification, where God gets glory in our sanctification, and friends, we get joy. We want to grow more holy. We want to become more like Christ. And it is a very joyful thing for us, but also for those around us when we grow in Christ. But remember the Philippians, where they come from, where they love their city. They are named after, remember, the father of Alexander the Great. It is an important city in the Roman Empire. But because of God's work, the Philippians would have ample cause to glory in Christ, not in where they are from, not in themselves. Paul's desire and his eventual return to them would be grounds for their boasting, he talks about, as he continues to minister to them now face to face. So friends, Christ is honored in our sacrifice. He is honored in our sanctification. And God gets glory through both of those. As Pastor John Piper describes glory, he says, The glory of God is God's holiness on display. Where the infinite value of God, and when that goes public, His holiness in creation, the heavens are telling the glory of God. And human beings, we get to manifest that glory. The public display, he continues, of the infinite beauty and worth of God is what John Piper calls God's holiness or his glory. I'm sorry, the public display is his glory. Isaiah 6, when the seraphim say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. What we may expect to be there is His holiness. But when God's glory becomes public, it's His glory. And that's what we call it. And so when we glory in Christ, friends, we display that holiness of God to the world around us and Christ is honored in that. Even if it's not perfected, but it is growing in our sanctification. And so, Lord, give us the faith to believe that our salvation, our sanctification honors you. Give us confidence, Lord, to tell others about you, to grow us as we know that it displays who you are and what you've done to the world around us as it gives you glory. And so our sacrifices honor Christ, our sanctification honors Christ, and finally, again, our suffering honors Christ as we remain holy. Verse 27. 
Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the sake of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. So Paul is continuing to turn away from his circumstances, and he exhorts this church to focus on Christ. The most significant demand that he has for them, be holy. And a way to show the world that God is holy is to live a holy lives ourselves, where we glory in Christ by living a life worthy of Christ. Imagine Paul writing this. Talked about my circumstances, now I'm going to talk to them. Well, don't forget you need to have a call to worship before you gather. you got to sing two songs up front, have the scripture read, sing three songs at the end, and also have someone close. He says, be holy. Let your manner of life be in tune and aligned with the gospel of Jesus. In light of what we've seen, in light of what Jesus has done for us, in light of what he has done for the church, through his death, his life, and his resurrection, we should live like it. Paul calls them to be steadfast and unified. He calls us to remain holy. And the beauty is here is that God will continue to do his work through us. Remember, we, also, we already mentioned the Spirit, right? He helps us keep us till the end. We saw a couple weeks ago, verse 6 of chapter 1. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so friends, Christ will hold us fast. And we give up of ourselves to be used and transformed by Jesus. Where God produces the greatest fruit in us as we remain holy even in our sufferings. So what does a life that is worthy of Christ look like? First, it's a life that is faithfully trusting God with the fruit. Verse 27, it's a life of integrity that stands firm and maintains faith in the midst of suffering. There's a consistency with this sort of life. There's not waffling back and forth like, I just don't know if I want to really commit to this when opposition arises. When you're asked about what you did this weekend, it's a great way to share the gospel. I learned at church about what Christ did for me on the cross for my sins, how he grows me in sanctification, how he saves me, and he will get me to the end. If you think about it, the world is not ashamed about sharing what they did over the weekend. We should not be ashamed of what, what we did. Let's be faithful. Let's be consistent in the things that we talk about. 
Second, conduct our lives as a citizen of another world. And that's fitting, as we said, about this church in Philippi. But I also think it's fitting for us as Americans. We'll see this in a few weeks in chapter 3. Paul says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Be faithful, be a citizen of heaven, and third, be unified. Just like our country unified itself during World War II, the church, we need to be unified. We have a greater calling than our country does. We are to be in one spirit, Paul says, of one heart of unity and one mind. We are to struggle alongside each other, not with each other, against our common foe. Be faithful. Be a citizen of heaven. Be unified. And verse 27 says, the result of this is more faith in the gospel. Others will see and believe and put their trust in the person and work of Jesus through our faithfulness. Romans 8.31, we sang about this as our opening song. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer, if you didn't know it, is nothing. But the gospel isn't just for others, it's for us as well. God will give us more faith. God will remind us, and we need that reminder, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, so that we can say, to live is to be with Christ, or like Christ, to die is gain. And there's two results that come from our endurance and our suffering. God's enemies will see their destruction that's yet to come. And the second is that we will see our salvation that has come. Let's be honest. We would rather not suffer. But we would also be honest in saying we'd rather see our enemies be destroyed. And I'm sure that some folks during World War II, in hindsight, looked at it and said, we should have dropped some atom bombs a lot earlier and ended it. But we didn't. Today, we have tough times to consider the things in front of us. But just as the destruction ultimately will come from God to those who do not believe, with an everlasting conscious punishment, for those who do believe, we receive everlasting life as our judgment. And so friends, we have nothing to lose. Paul is looking way ahead. And there is an eternal future ruin for those who don't believe in Jesus, his work on their behalf. And there's eternal future salvation for those who do. We get one chance to respond and believe the gospel. Jesus said in Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is ours. Will we be willing to suffer for it? I talked to a friend the other day. His family moved from Nigeria when he was a kid, and he was telling me the story of Muslim radicals that would come 
to these villages. If you're familiar with Nigeria, it's half Muslim and half Christian. And they would line up a bus of people at these checkpoints and everybody would have to put their hands behind their head and they would warn them and say, we're going to ask you if you're a Christian. And if you are a Christian, you're going to have a bullet in the back of your head. That happens in our world today. And I'm grateful that it does not happen in our country, in our state. But they are friend, or they are believers, as Paul says in verse 28, not frightened in anything. And so I pray that God would give us the courage, if that ever does happen here, to say, yes, I am a Christian. To live is Christ, to die is more Christ. And so God can give us the integrity. God can give us the grit. God can give us the resolve to say it is worth it for the gospel. Paul says in verse 29 that it has been granted to us to suffer. It's been given. It's a free gift of God's grace where we receive and we sit and we receive this suffering. And so as you're sitting down for dinner tonight, don't forget to thank God for that gift as well. To suffer is for the sake of Christ. And as one commentator suggested, God has graciously given you the privilege both of believing in Christ, but also suffering in His stead. God has graciously given us the ability to believe that we are one happy family, that we get to suffer together, that we get to bear burdens together. And it's a clear sign of their destruction, but of our salvation. And it's a gift that produces fruit for us. But as we live faithfully, it produces fruit for the world outside of us as we bear witness to who Jesus is and what he's done. And Paul finishes up by reminding the Philippian church what they've already experienced. If you're familiar with Paul's history with this Philippian church, in Acts 16, he went to Philippi, and him and his friend Silas ended up in prison. You might be familiar with the story where in prison they were singing, and God sent an earthquake, and the jail cells opened. And now he's back in jail. And so it should not surprise these Philippian believers who are re receiving this letter. They are engaged in the same conflict that he was in Philippi, while he's engaged in the same conflict now in this Roman prison cell. It's the same suffering we see in verse 30. And they're not passively standing by. They're busily occupied and engaged in the same faithfulness, trusting God to bring about fruitfulness. They're not sending the text messages, I'll pray for you, and then they get off into their regular life and they forget to actually pray for their brother. They are busily occupied. That God can deliver them as well in miraculous ways again. But ultimately, He will deliver them from the prison that they are in on earth. And that's the greatest miracle that sinners like the Philippians, like you and like me, can be saved. <coughs> Psalm 37.3, a friend of mine shared me this verse this week. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness.
Is that, on our, is that not our story? Trust, dwell, be faithful. Trust God for fruitfulness. Do good. Trust God for fruitfulness. Be faithful while God produces fruitfulness in us and also in the world around us. I had a pastor friend. He says, preach the gospel, go take a nap. We get to let God do the work. Where they are engaged, those Philippians, in the same conflict that Paul says. And the word conflict here in the Greek is agon, where we get our word agony from. As Eric reminded us a couple weeks ago, this word is used in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race, the agon, the conflict that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Where life is a marathon, it is not a sprint. Sometimes it will include some sprints. Sometimes it'll include a Stairmaster. Sometimes it'll be a nice stroll down a dirt road and peak foliage. And sometimes it'll be a downhill ski event. Life is a marathon and we are going to have our ups and downs. And we aren't the greatest generation, but we do have a great Savior who we can look to, who's our cornerstone, who has perfected our faith, who has walked this path before us and is seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning over everything. And I often think that the world despises us. It despises Christians. That they don't think we're great at anything. And it may end up being more suffering for us down the road. And so we talk about things like this when times are good can be prepared if times don't continue the way that they are. And so friends, we serve a great God who deserves honor in our sacrifices, in our sanctification, but also in our suffering. And as we follow Christ's example, we don't praise ourselves as a great generation. We praise God who is great and is kind and loving to us as a heavenly father who loves to save sinners of whom we used to be. And the gospel makes all of this possible. When we fail, we can be reminded that Jesus paid for those sins too. The gospel reminds us that we can live like Christ, but to die is to get more Christ. We have nothing to lose. Blaise Pascal, a 16th century mathematician and philosopher, you may have heard of Pascal's wager. He, because he was a mathematician, he had to do some gambling. Where we have two options. One option is you either believe in God or you don't believe in God. There's two options on God's response to that, though. Either he exists or he doesn't. If he's not real, nothing happens, whether you believe or not. But if he does exist... We either have the option to not believe him, where there's, as the Bible says, everlasting punishment, or to believe him, where we gain everything. And so, friends, we have nothing 
to lose. Where God is honored in our sacrifices, He is honored in our sanctification, He is honored in our suffering, and that's joy. Might not feel like joy, but it is joy. And so as I call the worship team up, we will worship our God who deserves all of our praises. And so, as Paul said, we can glory in Christ now. We can declare His holiness back to Him together as a family because He deserves our praises. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You that You have done so much on our behalf. God, we thank You that we have this time where we can worship You. Thank You for Your Spirit who will help us. Thank You for each other who will help us. Thank You for Your Word that helps us. And God, we pray that You would be honored in our life, whether in life or in death. And we thank You that You will bring us to the end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and join us as we respond to God's word through song?